0: Welcome to Summer Shorts, a subsidiary of Everything is Gay, Even the Straight Stuff podcast productions, where we promise you your favorite pop culture pizza in 40 minutes or it's free. The catch is, (laughs) it's free regardless. I'm John McDonald, here again with Magnus. Hi, Magnus!
1: Greetings, all.
0: So, we decided to do some really kind of uh, fun and lighter pop culture fare for summer, but that does not mean it's any less important. And of course we have to reserve a bit of energy because this is the summer of Barbie or Oppenheimer if you're a super butch lesbian. Um, And then we go right (laughs) into gay Christmas, AKA Halloween. And so we have to conserve a little bit of energy, um, but we're both really excited about what we're gonna talk about today. So we're gonna start off with what seems like a really big topic from the outset, uh, but I think we can do it in 40 minutes or less. And we're gonna talk about Mm -hmm. not Nanny, from the BBC, but the Nanny from the US. You have to add the mm-hmm. the in because Nanny was a program in the BBC. the BBC, yeah.
1: She was working on the right side of vanity. Oh god, I got the theme song already playing in my head again.
0: No, that's good. Uh, so the theme song is super iconic. It is also a remix of, uh, not a remix, it is a reimagining... Of a mm. song from sweet charity so if anybody out there watches sweet charity and is like one of these songs sounds like the theme song to the nanny it's because it is um <laughs> in in tv writing class we actually learned that in the 90s when the nanny was going on especially in sitcoms there was a big push to do memorable tv themes to get people to watch so like family matters the full house the nanny even kind of sabrina and boy meets world they all had these really, um, the the theme songs were made to be remembered, and they do. Mm. Uh, and the animation with the nanny theme, I think, is really interesting, too, because we don't see the animated opening in many other non-animated shows. Um, mm. I tried doing it as a costume once. It's really hard to get that zero-inch waist that they gave <laughs> Fran in the opening.
1: Um, oh. yeah, oh yeah, as well as the as well as the sheer flatness, of course,
0: oh, yes, well, the sheer flatness wasn't that hard to achieve, although I have a lot of personality, so I had to subdue myself, um <laughs> so this is a show that ran from ninety three to ninety nine did six years, uh, the last year is one of the probably least liked of the show, and Fran talks about it. So Fran Drescher wasn't just the star of this show as Fran Fine, she was also the showrunner, uh, and there was a lot in the Nanny that was done with a lot of attention, uh, both on her part and the part of the other showrunners. And the first one was is the will they won't they aspect, which is the thing people remember about the Nanny the most usually, um, is the will they won't they. And Fran Drescher talked about this in in an interview either before or during the 2016 reunion. Uh, Where she talked about after season five, when Maxwell and Fran get married, they had to figure out what they were going to do for season six, because that was the crux of the show for a long time. And so the Mm -hmm. reason we see it repeated with Cece and Niles and with Maggie and her husband, the underwear model, whose name I can never recall. Um, You see that will they, won't they again, because that was pretty much not the whole premise of the show there were lots of other things going on it was very rich but that was kind of the crux of the drama of the sitcom of it all and so in fulfilling that in season 5 it's a great finale but then what do you do for season 6 so I don't think season 6 is that bad I think it's an interesting exploration I think it does have some funny moments I like the reveal of uh, Morty who we'd only ever seen off screen um and of course, mm. Lainey, the fabulous Lainey Kazan got to sing in season six. And so I'm I I think as far as The Nanny goes, it's a really good show, but it's not a show you, you, can, you can pay attention to it or you can leave it on while you're doing something else and you still get it. <laughs> um, I think it's worthwhile in both ways. I sometimes like to have nanny marathons. I bought the series on DVD so I don't have to watch it on Ooh. HBO Max. But if you want to watch it, it's on it's just called Max now. It's not called hbo max anymore but uh the full series is an hbo max and sometimes pluto will run it sometimes the roku channel will run it um but it's always on somewhere and for something that started in 93 that's a pretty good feather in its cap for it to always be on
1: mm. no indeed well we've discussed this with the golden girls there are being it, with good shows having an element of timelessness to them Um, it's clear that the nanny is a 90s era sitcom but there's something so relatable about many of the um, themes and the plots going on within the show and then the humor itself fran delivers in such a way that's just spot on and the sporting cast is all really great at like tying into the humor as well so it never feels that the nanny is tired and a lot of the episodes, a lot of the seasons, I would say, um, they don't. It, you know, if you watch them out of order, it's not going to really affect you too badly, if that makes sense. You can easily cut, pick it, pick up into it what's going on. Um, the, the sixth season, yes, it, it's more of a concluding arc to everything else. that's sort of a, because everything's led up to the one point and such. But even that see season. I mean, I really do like it because of the fact that it feels like an actual conclusion.
0: Um, Well, yeah, and uh, season six is also one of the last episodes of season six. We get a nod to Fran Drescher's character from This is Spinal Tap, but we also get the last TV appearance of Ellie Mae Clampett, who was the last surviving member of the Beverly Hillbillies. She plays the realtor Mm -hmm. that sells them the house, Um, that they are going to end up living in in LA and they do that nod to the Beverly Hillbillies where they do the waving thing (laughs) and that is a core tenet kind of the show of being aware that you exist in the sitcom universe we see it with them having Ray Romano on as Ray Barone Uh, they see it as people kind of reprising characters and of course the nod to I Love Lucy which is intentional um the nanny is one of my, one of my favorite things about the 90s is that in the 90s things were not afraid to be what they were. A superhero movie was a superhero movie, you knew what you were getting. And the nanny was really a show about love and growth and how growth hmm. comes from love. And they didn't shy I think that's what makes it rewatchable is that they're not shy about this is a show about love. You know, there's some drama, but it's about love and comedy and heart and kind of that annoying thing where you love your family and wish they would go away at the the (laughs) same time, Um, which is also just a very Jewish thing, I guess, you know.
1: Mm. And speaking of that, it's nice how, like, he didn't, with Rand's inclusion into the family, it's a very natural, organic way that her presence grows as her relationships with not just Maxwell, but the children deepens over time. Yeah. Um, and she starts to bring, like, you know, a bit of herself into the family. Um, there's a great memorable episode where, um, oh, what was Maxwell's um, past wife? I forget her name. Um,
0: uh, I want to say it was Sarah. Sarah is the name of her, uh, of yes. Maxwell's first wife.
1: Sarah's parents had a massive problem with... Uh, Maxwell and fran game together and well particularly with like the The, grandchildren
0: i think it's the adoption they had it was the adoption episode yeah
1: the issue is of course that um you know it went wrong in typical sitcom fashion um and then thankfully they're able to resolve it but the children show that fran's been having such a good impact on their development and such
0: yeah um and that comes across really nicely and authentically. Um, that episode also has one of the best joke schemes in the show, because in the show, often the joke is something will happen earlier in the show yeah. and will come back at the end. And in that episode in particular, the joke is when they're coming, Fran is like, I want to take them to this and this steakhouse, which is seen yeah. as lower class with like onion bread and oh, things you wouldn't yeah. see in England. <laughs> and at the end of the episode, the dad when they finally gotten over this like adoption process thing um the first thing he mentions is that same steakhouse and fran gives this knowing look both to the camera and then to max mm-hmm. um and so that's a really great episode if you're looking just for the formula of how smart the show was mm. um the adoption episode has both the heart and the humor that they balanced really well
1: mm it's quite interesting that whilst there is a literal family at the heart of the show it also feels like a show about found family and about having those people in your family that you choose to have so and it's not really a matter of blood and such it's more what whom you want to include
0: yeah and, and you get that even in the pilot too uh, if you look at the pilot of it, even though they're in a smaller house and it is kind of distracting when you go from episode one to episode two, yes, <laughs> <laughs> you do get the sense of found family because the character of Niles could have been a very small part, um, but they mm. really made him someone very memorable and snarky. Uh, the part of Cece could have been very small, but even in that kind of frenemies context, throughout the course of the show, she's a very stable character uh, that we get to know. Um and in a way, in Fran pulling, like, the personalities out of the kids or tempering, like, mm. Bryden's need to be a gruesome young man. Um, yeah. Yeah, there is there is a found family aspect, not just with, like, Fran's mom essentially inviting herself over to the home to eat all their food. <laughs> um, it's, it's, it's this thing where there is kind of this organic where your fan family can also be your blood family. It's just a matter of choice. And that's also a Jewish thing is that... You know, mm. for better or worse, your relatives are your relatives, oi,
1: kind of thing. <laughs> oh, indeed. The, the thing with CC is they very quickly start to take away her whole thing about like ardently pursuing Maxwell. There is still sort of subtlety at some points to it, but her overt efforts to get Maxwell, you know, it like if I remember correctly, there was the episode where she forced. She took the children to the zoo, and then after that, there's not really too many concrete plans. Yeah, I don't think there was. There was just she. It's literally just her
0: mentioning
1: she wants Maxwell.
0: I think it's because the so Fran Drescher is a really smart businesswoman. Ah, uh, from mm. from when you see her in Saturday Night Fever, when you see her in UHF, um, she was showrunner on this. She was actually ah uh, the nanny came about because of the show princesses which she was she was going to be in with twiggy where she was Mm. playing like a modern version of a princess um and so they really knew a story about love but it's one of those things where even though fran wasn't as actualized uh as cc necessarily she wasn't really necessarily a businesswoman. uh lauren lane was really self-possessed as cc and at a certain point if you know you're going to put maxwell and fran together then yes, you can poke fun at CC's desire for Maxwell. Maxwell's also just handsome. It's also just Charles Shaughnessy. I mean, oh. easily one of the first TV crushes. You know, if you if you're if you were into guys with a touch of gray. Um, mm-hmm. Also, Lauren Lane got pregnant like halfway through the show, so it it became like you can't do as much physical comedy with her being pregnant. You have to start hiding her behind stuff um, or, or, and, or large so, bags. Yeah. Or large bags, large bags, pillows, whatever you want to do. Um, fun fact: uh, Cece's uh, Pomeranian is actually Fran Drescher's dog, and so mm. the Pomeranian in the show actually <laughs> belonged to Fran Drescher, um, <laughs> which I appreciate. Mm.
1: As you say, it's another great example of great writing and sort of working it in there, sort yeah. of to speak, like you know, in in-house jokes. And what I like is the fact that by the sixth season, uh, Fran and Cece's, like, disagreements were actually cooling down, and they actually started to find an aspect of, like, companionship and friendship, dare I say, in their I think interactions.
0: So. We see throughout the series, we see it at the end of season one especially, is that mm-hmm. Fran really isn't just about dating and, you know, trying to be young forever. There's that aspect of her personality... But we see throughout the show that's not all she is. She does Mm. kind of acknowledge that though she comes from this quote-unquote lower-class place, she Mm. has a lot of class and style and personality, not just in fashion, which is what a lot of people think, but she does have ambition. Um, She tries a whole bunch of things. She gets the kids to Mm. try different things. She gets uh, Mr. Sheffield out of his comfort zone. And so in a way she's an equal to Cece, even though she's not necessarily a natural businesswoman. there is something about her where they can't really be rivals because they're just too different to be they're they're too different to be best friends but they're too close to each other to be enemies it's very much a Dwight and Jim from the office in a way I guess Mm -hmm. if there's if you want to think about it but it's you know that she did come in as a rival to Cece but it was clear from the pilot that she was yeah. so much more attractive to Maxwell than CC was. Mm. Um, uh, they they mm. never did make Lauren Lane dowdy. They never made CC like they did to, to Dorothy and the Golden Girls, where they kept telling her how ugly she was. Yes, they would make jokes about her, mm. uh, her visage, but they never dressed her dowdy. They never dressed anyone in the show dowdy. They did a fabulous job mm. with the outfits, even like the school oh. uniforms for the kids. Uh, but yeah. Even in Lauren Lane being the unattractive second string to Fran Drescher as Fran Fine, they dressed her up in fantastically tailored clothes. Very 90s. Lots mm. of, like, late shoulder pads, but that was just the 90s for Uh, I never felt like they played Lauren Lane as ugly, and I really appreciate no, no. that. They never played Sylvia Fine as ugly, even though they made jokes about her weight. It always felt like it was kind of in good fun, and it was never meant to hurt in the way that mm. we hear, you know in the way that we hear about um B. Arthur as Dorothy like walking out of the writing mm. room once because she was tired of six years of jokes at her appearance, it never felt like it got that mean spirited on the nanny.
1: No. Very very true. Um Cece was always wonderfully well dressed. Like yeah. she had a bit of a presence when she came into the room in her outfits um you could believe that she was a ambitious businesswoman um and then you take it like also she never struggled to get dates like when she wanted to make maxwell jealous she was easily able to get a string of men to date her she was just focused on the unattainable
0: yeah which is fine i would also focus on that it's unattainable uh (laughs) Uh, But that's also kind of the conceit of the series. In the I Love Lucy, Dick Van Dyke sitcom sort of way, you have to have something unattainable. Uh, You Mm. need to have your Laura for your Urkel. You need to have like the boyfriends from the Facts of Life. You always need the tension of, is uh, Mr. Roper, Mr. Furley going to find out in his company kind of thing. And so that rivalry kind of had to exist. But even when CeCe had moved on, to Niles, there's still a bit of that rivalry in CC always trying to come out on top, but that was just kind of her personality, and so you mm. can write female frenemies in a way that works because otherwise, then CC is just another Val, and that doesn't work. You have to you ha- you have to write the characters so there's still a little bit of tension between them in order for it not to feel samey, and I think it mm. worked really well. It's it's really it's a well written show. With a female centric eye. And I think that's part of why mm. the nanny does really well is because it's female centric, but it doesn't feel like patronizingly female. It doesn't feel like later oh. seasons of Drag Race it, feel to me now.
1: It doesn't feel like, even though it's female centric, it doesn't feel like the men are second fiddle. It just feels like they're, you know, they're as important characters, but they're not the centerpiece, as it were.
0: I'd argue that Fran taught Brighton as much as she taught Maggie and Grace. We just mm-hmm. don't see it as on screen as much because we see really the most of the interaction with Fran and the children as Fran and Maggie. Because that's the, you know, very mother-daughter, very sound to music bonding moment. And Gracie in that season one is just overwhelmingly a nutcase and like in therapy four times a week. And I'm kind of glad they tamped down on that. But I feel like even in-universe, even just by watching her be this very amazing self-actualized woman, Brighton Mm. learned a lot about the kind of woman he'd want. Uh, And even though he's still you know, a late teenager at the end of the show, you can tell how Fran has softened that in him and set him Mm. up for a great potential of how to meet a really like exuberant attractive woman in a way he may not have gotten with another nanny. Um, Cause in mm-hmm. the, in the pilot, he's like sticking a knife, a fake knife into his chest to like die in front of <laughs> Fran and in the finale at the airport, he's like trying not to tear up as he senses, mm-hmm. you know, part of his family off. and It's it just, it's a kind of a remarkable thing to look at in how the show was about love and growth, and I think that it didn't shy away from being about that, because a lot Mm. of sitcoms, when they transition, like Boy Meets World, really shied away from that blood family element, and The Nanny really was about Fran became a member of the family, and then just made it official by marrying it. (laughs) Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm. So, I would love to, at some point, go into talking about the wonderful, beautiful camp-slash-gay elements in the series. Do you have um, any other points to bring up at the moment?
0: Um, I think at some point we should talk about Niles, because I think Niles is a great segue. But I, I feel like the camp and the queerness of the nanny... there's something very camp and queer about the archness of a very snappy butler so Mm -hmm. i think that'll fit right in so let's let's do some camp and queer let's talk about sherry lewis lamb chop let's talk about Cher getting (laughs) plastic surgery let's talk about that soft 90s glamour shot filter they used for all of their um camera i don't even know where to begin with the
1: wonderful campness like i suppose the best way to put it across is the way that they wrote camp and gayness into the nanny it feels both progressive for its time and but at the same time there's certain elements that they had which were quite indicative of it being written in the 90s um so for example like um niles he's as you say wonderfully snarky there was always a bit of like is he isn't he with the character to the point i think Fram brings it up in yeah. one of the episodes if i remember correctly
0: uh um, yes she does it's it's in a very it's in that same gentle breathing manner it's not a like meant to accuse not to stand out joke but it is a broadway theater world so you really couldn't hmm. do the nanny without acknowledging the existence of queer people because that was who was making broadway in 93 in fact i'd venture andrew lloyd weber arch nemesis of maxwell sheffield they might be the only two really straight men in the universe and even sometimes maxwell you have to wonder about so yeah
1: there was actually if i recall um several <laughs> wonderful little subtle gay jokes with maxwell um
0: well, I, he's all, he was also British, so in America you were you might as well have been gay when you were yes. British in America in the 90s. Yeah. Um, I, I will say they did do okay. a requisite lesbian episode where uh, Fran gets hit on by a lesbian, and that was kind of a 90s sitcom staple. They didn't quite right. go as heavy with it as Designing Women went. Um, and I believe, if I remember correctly, the Mira Sorvino from Romeo and Michelle, if I remember correctly, played the lesbian that comes out uh the guy that played brock from reba pretended to be gay in the episode he was in
1: um was not the male nanny
0: yeah the male nanny who would go on to play brock uh in reba as the scumbag ex-husband uh <laughs> yes he he pretended the episode he was in in i think it's in season one is one where he kind of pretends to be gay but it's not as cringy as it sounds just saying it as a statement. Uh, even in that, there was a lot of attention to making sure it never felt like shamey against gays. It's just kind of one of those plot points where it's something a straight dude totally does in like a weird recess of their mind that will think they'll get the women, I guess. And it was a plot point in one episode of The Nanny. It exists. So.
1: Mm. And to touch upon a point that I made earlier about that sometimes it felt like it was clearly writing from the 90s um a number of the some of the gay parts were overtly camp where they were quite sort of like how gay men would be written as somewhat as overly effeminate or like overly snappy and and snarky etc um so that was you did see a number of characters with those roles but at the same time there was definitely a subtlety in the sense that there was never brought along that you were laughing at them it was more to make a point of comedy um there was a great episode where fran and val moved together in a small flat um because i forget why i think fran was having Brand love, was getting like support.
0: people were eavesdropping on her dates, and she was like, You guys, if you're not she was like, Max, if you're not gonna marry me, if you're not gonna put a ring on it, you gotta stop like flicking the lights on on the porch. I'm not 16, you know.
1: Very yes, I re- that's I remember that now. Um, but yes, they move into apartment block because Fowl found it was full of men, and of course it's all gay men. Yeah. Um, but that's the joke, but it's not a laugh at these gay men, it's just a laugh at another example of Val's (laughs) blondness.
0: And I think you have to have a certain level of comfort and a certain level of acknowledgement that there are flamboyant gay men in the queer community and as long as it's not so mean that it's like accusing them of being something they're not, there is a Mm. place in humor to do the more swishy Oscar Wilde type gay. And I think the nanny... The Nanny's humor never felt bitter and angry again. And I think that's something where when you look at it, I can't think of an episode of The Nanny where sometimes I have this, even with The Golden Girls, where I cringe at the humor. Like, I can't think of an episode Mm. of The Nanny where I dislike it so much that I have to skip it. And I have a couple of those episodes for The Golden Girls, even. There's something Mm. really great about doing a queer plot line but that ending your season one finale with having Danny come back and Fran speaking out loud the revelation, I've outgrown you and what that means. And so there's a poignancy mm-hmm. to the show that I think juxtaposes with the um, the dog is going to eat lamb, chop the puppet, and it's going to cause wacky hijinks. Like Fran is going to get to see Maximal naked in the shower, wacky hijinks ensue. Um, I, there, there's a balance in queer and campness that I think we forget in the 90s we were coming out of the 80s and the AIDS epidemic. And so even having just queer people on TV was still something of a revolution in 93. And it was something, mm. there was only certain ways you could do it. If we ever talk about Will and Grace, we'll talk about, mm. you know, Matt Baum talks about this in his in his Will and Grace episode about how they had to push Jack so far and they had to reel, wheel in because of how people were perceived in queerness on TV mm. and so it's of its time but it doesn't feel mean and honestly there are some queer people that are kind of bitchy acerbic and femme and I don't think we should shy away from celebrating that it'd be like the arbitrary we don't want to celebrate butch leather people at pride like <laughs> then what's the point um, as long as it as long as it's always about the character seems happy and self actualized and they're not using it to beat mm. themselves up with, I'm okay yeah. with it. And in the case of the nanny, that's not even the biggest queer thing for me. In the nanny, the biggest queer thing for me in the Ooh, nanny dumb. is yeah. is is so every time Fran Fine came down that grand staircase and like took off her jacket and there was the most <laughs> fantastic like outfit on it that was the most high-end designer thing you'd ever seen for someone on her salary. That's gay for me. A dress made on sparkly Eminem wrappers is gay for me. Like, that is the (laughs) ultimate. That's what kind of makes this show endure is Mm. the fashion, is this idea of this grandness, this idea of putting yourself in high society because you can actually pull it off and be authentically yourself. Um, mm. there's a reason there's an Instagram called What Fran wore that I follow, and that they sell clothes from the TV show. Like wow. the iconography of the show, the intention of the show to do just what I Love Lucy did in the 50s, which is what I did with Fashion as mm. well as with the sitcom. Um, it's kind of it's an amazing show, and the fact that it ran for six years, and even though it didn't win many awards, uh, it was a popular show. Like, and even with actors, because the amount of people that guest starred in one episode playing themselves or playing like a long lost family World. member, yeah. it's not, you can't even find them on the Wikipedia entry because there's so many. They've just got like a block of the most and then like and more. <laughs> and it's really good. Even in the pilot, James Marsden, who we'd come to know as Cyclops beautifully and lovingly. Among other yes. characters is Maggie's first kiss, which sets off the drama of the first episode and really sets up the dynamic of the show. And it's so it's so amazing to have that be part of your history and to have that be mm. really iconic Broadway people's kind of mainstream moment. Um, made me happy, very happy
1: mm. Oh yes. I remember the the amount of times that you'd see famous face just pop up un- unexpectedly. It, if nothing else, that has some brilliant rewatch yeah. ability to it. Oh God, um, Whoopi was on the one episode. I think. I think wasn't she? Was she a mar- no? She was a wedding planner or a marriage counselor. What was she? She
0: was uh, the uh, wedding yeah. planner trying to get them to buy the pop up book that they were going to put at everybody's table, which had like the weird <laughs> pop up bobblehead things. Uh, Ray Charles <laughs> was on it as Yetta's. Uh, Boyfriend, fiance, husband. People forget this in the middle of the show. Ray Charles is like in a multi episode arc for Yetta. Um, also, the woman that played Yetta is film is T V royalty because she was the best friend on Dick Van Dyke. So when they make that one off joke about Yetta thinking she looks like such and such woman, that's her referencing the character she played on Dick Van Dyke. Um, hmm. which was one of the first sitcoms with Mary Tyler Moore.
1: very quick mention whilst we still have time um that something we haven't pointed out is the fact that it wasn't just Fran making connections with the children and their new family it was you know Sylvia and Yetta were starting to make connections as well There's like you know in a way adopted um grandmother and then great-grandmother um especially when Yetta tormented Brighton
0: (laughs) There's a great episode, and it's only cringy now because it takes place in Atlantic City, so it's a uh, uh, because it takes place at a certain hotel with a certain brand name, I don't want to say, mm-hmm. um, but it's the idea of Brighton is a natural, like, canast or pinochle or this, like, really <laughs> yes. weird old lady, like, card game, and it just makes me so happy that, like, there was a way in which they allowed the light of the children to shine that you don't often get For kid actors outside of kid vehicles so we saw it on Boy Meets World but that was because it was about the kids Uh, the nanny still let the kids shine and even though Grace uh, kind of in the final season had less to do and they were bringing the twins in it never felt like the kids being less focused meant they had less of a focus if that makes sense Uh, the way they blossomed throughout the show is to be commended it's great writing Mm. so yeah
1: Indeed. Oh yeah, they all gained they all gain something from Fran's um sort of yeah. not tutelage, um influence. Like Maggie's confidence, Brighton's sensitive- sensitivity, and Gracie finding sort of her own calm, as it were.
0: Yeah. And I think that's probably why that there have been 12 adaptations of The Nanny into foreign countries and foreign languages. Oh, um, and all number, of these yeah. were sanctioned. I, I don't know if they were all sanctioned by Fran Drescher, but they were all kind of helped by either writers or Fran Drescher. Can I run through the list of these countries that have done this
1: real quick? Go ahead.
0: Yep. So Argentina with La Niñera, Chile with La Nanny, Ecuador with yeah, La Niñera. Uh, Greece, and I can't pronounce the one in Greece because that's in Greek. Indonesia did the nanny, but it was in Indonesia. Uh, in Italy, they have the nanny, uh, but they've completely changed the backstory. So she's Roman Catholic uh, or she's Jewish. <laughs> and uh, No, she's Roman Catholic. Um, in Mexico, wow. they have La Niñera. Poland has Gnania. uh, Portugal did Ama. Russia did a version called My Fair Nanny that was 173 episodes and it was so popular after the show ended in america some of the writers went to write and the russian version of the nanny has like two separate seasons based on ideas Mm -hmm. that didn't make it into the american show wow um like people in russia loved my fair nanny the show's amazing like i kind of want to watch it it is um It's one of the first successful sitcoms in Russian television, and I would love to see Uh it. It did did seven seasons. Uh, So, after Russia, Mm -hmm. Turkey had one called Dari, um, and then there was a kind of Spanish version here in the United States called La Morcita Ninera, which was set in Houston. Uh, And so, all of these kind of had the blessing of the showrunner, and uh, there's about a million countries that it's in syndication in but like countries love this so much they made their own version um and like argentina their version started in 2004 so it was much after the show ended um, wow. and so i i love this idea of that this idea of love but also this idea of desire really transcends you know language and even though they kind of mess with the origin story just a little bit it still becomes about the dynamic of this guy in obvious pain and obvious grief who's mm. missing his wife and doesn't know how to guide his children finds this woman who really has the tools even if she doesn't know the language but in the way she which she operates moves her into this world in such an organic way And also, I love a woman that can eat, and so I know that it's like (laughs) maybe something people would be like, how did she eat all that food and stay so thin? But like, it's magic TV. This is one of the shows where it's not so much about continuity, it's about the magic. It's like the Golden Girls in a way, where it's about the magic, not thinking about how they afford the house in Miami. They wouldn't be able to afford that. Also, it's just fun. It's like I always say, we're allowed to have fun. And also have heart, and I am I'm really glad that the nanny happened, and I think it's a really special show, not just for queer people, but for straight. But it's also a very special show for queer people. There's lots of queerness in it, and that makes me happy. Um, yes, yeah. I,
1: if I was I was gonna say if there was if there's enough one element we haven't touched on yet that's um just shows like the sheer fun and campness of this show. It's uh, Fran's near religious obsession with Barbara.
0: Oh, yes. They never show Barbara. She never is a guest star. She's always (laughs) off screen. Uh, She did have a phone call in one episode. The only thing that the nanny never did that I would have loved to have seen, they did a couple of holiday episodes, they never did a Halloween episode. I would have loved to have seen a Halloween episode of the nanny. I can only imagine what that would have looked like. And... It's one of those things where that is, like, the one thing I always kind of wish, because I'm just imagining the theme of the episode for Niles as, like, a C-plot is being, like, going around trying to clean up after everyone, because they just leave a mess of Halloween decor (laughs) everywhere. Um, But it's the one thing they didn't do, which was super popular in the 90s, that I kind of always wish. Mm -hmm. If I ever meet Fran Drescher, because she's now, like, the sag After president, if I ever meet her for any reason, I'm going to ask her, hey what would a halloween episode of the nanny look like
1: yep oh right so i suppose that concludes this uh, summer shorts then
0: yes so everyone's pop culture pizza is free but not free because we didn't in eight minutes or left and we will see you next time for another summer short on everything is gay even the straight stuff bye Ta-da!